everybody, hither and yon, uh, and perhaps especially yon. Uh, those were my preferred cahoots in that equation, uh, historically, you know. Um, I'm Matt Stranick, and you may notice I, I asked AI just 10 minutes ago, the Bing AI, to generate a retro music-making machine just to see what the AI would think that looked like, and uh, pretty solid choices, I'm going to say. Uh -huh. Well done. Microsoft with your algorithmic secret sauce. Mm. Um, how are things with you, Dan? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's been a pretty, it's been a pretty decent weekend. We had some some company up last night. Some friends of my girlfriend's from uh, back nice. in Amherst came up uh, for one of their like, you know, every few months get-togethers kind of thing. So it's pretty. Yeah, the house was pretty busy all weekend, but things have calmed down. Uh, I made some uh, Christmas cookies yesterday with uh, special butter in them that turned out pretty decent, which was nice, uh, hence the nap earlier. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had gingerbread men. It was, uh, you know, not a bad little weekend project. That sounds like a dope weekend project, if I can make a inferred double entendre yeah. there, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just like... Yeah, this whole post-cannabis era, it's still like, I just, I remember feeling like such a shitbag criminal as a teenager and in my, like, college years, like, I'm a degenerate for this, <laughs> but, you know, it's not harmful at all, and, geez, they should just tax the shit out of it, and, you know, lo and behold, you get what you they want. They did, but still, exactly. But I'm still just, I'm still puzzled by it a bit, you know, it's just like, mm. you know, I go get my pre-roll at the government store or whatever, and it's just like, Man, you know, it just all it had to do to shift was just yeah. one, you know, act of government, and yeah, it's it's like we're still gen, we're still the the generation that like remembers the before internet times. Yes. We're the last <laughs> generation to remember the before internet times. Oh yeah, it's one of those, I think, right? So, well, uh, yeah, exactly. Like I remember my first real internet experiences being like, "Are you still there?" Um. Yeah, like my first real internet experiences being like, you know, when I was probably like 18 or 19 at least and having that, you know, whole stretch of time where it just wasn't a thing. And even then after that, just being like, I've got this email address I check once a week, I guess, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, you're uh, you're muted, Matt. I can't hear you at the moment. Man. I, I have to forget that um, now, apart from dealing with the tenuous maritime internet generally, um, I've moved over the past few weeks. I've moved into the from the upstairs to the basement suite of the same building, and uh, my landlords are so awesome. They actually, I told them, I'm just like, I need a smaller place. I don't need this much space. I'm a single guy, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, they vacated. They were like. I'll tell you what, we'll give you the downstairs apartment. We'll move out of it. We'll let you move into it. Uh, and we'll charge you like half as much just because we value your tenancy. And I'm like, this is completely the twilight zone for what's supposed to happen with landlords. You're supposed to say, fine, thanks for the month's notice. And I'm supposed to say, fine, I hope I get my damage deposit back and be on the way. But it's pretty... Uh, yeah, so anyways, man, a um, lot going on generally. It starts to heat up at this time of year for events and such. Mm. And on that note, 
Um, this episode has been kind of in the works for a little while. Um, this is one of the ones where uh, I can safely say I deferred on it like five times and Dan deferred on it like three. So it's yeah, one of those. It just, it's just, uh, life sometimes happens, you know? Like, I don't know. My grandmother passed away this past week. I mean, I'm just like, there's, there's just various things yeah. that are like in play. It's just like, why rush anything, right? Exactly. So why don't you tell us all about the episode, Dan? Because I'll be danged if I can adequately summarize it as per the intention here. It was just something that I, well, I remember it's sort of half a topic I thought might be fun if it was like ever, if we ever did a show where like I came up with a separate list from something you did. Um, right. Just, and then also you had mentioned the idea of talking about like ties between punk rock and academia at one point. And I was like, yep. I thought that'd be cool. And I was like, how about we take look at ties between punk rock and academia and also sort of the more what you might call the more lowbrow side of things. And, you know, this is when I throw out that little list I had in my back pocket of ties between punk rock and pro wrestling. Um, pro I, wrestling. Yes. So, at so very, you did the whole, yeah. So can I ask, because I, I know you yeah. sent me your notes, but I haven't actually looked at them yet. So I don't know who's on your list. So by lowbrow, do you mean you're spanning genres Just, here, or it's, or it's it, all to do with wrestling? That's my. It's question. all to do. Well, what it is, it's like I I limited my list to five instances of people that were, you know, involved in sort of the performance and execution of both. Like okay, equally, not just say because I mean, there's plenty. You know, I just because it's 2023 and people are into a lot of things. Like just I'm curious as hell. I'm curious as hell. I want you just to dive in and tell okay. me the first person. All right. First so the first one is an instance. It's 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 just an instance of somebody having to take a day job between bands. Um, yep. As it were, and uh, but that person taking a day job was Bob Mold. Uh, between uh, his time in Husker Du and his time in Sugar. Awesome and that was, and between those two bands, he did a stint as a uh, producer and writer's assistant with World Championship Wrestling during what is widely regarded as their like worst, just not good era. Um, or like just close enough to sort of the highest of their highs that every not great choice they made just seemed that much worse and bob mold just happened to be the guy who had to go to hulk hogan with a list of you know 10 ideas from the head of creative saying hey do you want to do this 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 and this to only to be told that doesn't work for me brother um and uh yeah he uh started working there under the creative regime of a guy named vince russo who if you mention the name vince russo to a diehard wrestling fan you usually see their blood pressure go up. Um, he's wrestling's instance of, you know, it seems like in the 90s, almost every genre got taken over by like a guy who worked at a video store who had strong opinions and usually some kind of regional accent. Um, Vince Russo was the former video store manager in question for pro wrestling. Um, who he was the head writer for WWE when they did a lot of their sort of mid to late 90s stuff with like Stone Cold Steve Austin and all that. Um, uh, he had an ethos known as Crash TV that was just like, let's have as many things happen as possible. Who cares about continuity? 
um, even from the beginning of the show to the end of the show, like as long as it's just getting people's attention, um, like somebody's mother was suspended over a ring and a wrestler had to climb up to grab her to win the match at one point, uh, you know, just uh, they, they WCW was also really trying to like jump in on pop culture tie-ins with like having the star of the movie ready to rumble win their championship and they licensed a wrestler to kiss at one point like kiss basically hired them to take a guy and dress him up as muscly gene simmons um and call him the kiss demon um I <laughs> and, so much oh i do too and this was the prime of them just like slapping their logo on everything um, yeah. And yeah, it just so happened that Bob Mould was like a writer's assistant there at that time behind the scenes, wow. just like doing the shit work. And wow. the, he'd g- apparently got the job there because he knew some of the other producers just from like working in entertainment in the Twin Cities. Because uh, Minneapolis had is one of the cities that has like a long history in like sort of like the smaller regional era of pro wrestling. Uh, there was a company called the AWA that ran out of there that was like, you know. A big part of, I guess, the genre's history at one point. And, like, Bob Bold kind of grew up going to their show. Or, you know, like, spent a lot of time going to their shows when he lived in the area. and Got to do some people involved who eventually were like, hey, young rocker who's experienced with, you know, putting on Here's shows on the road. Question, question. Yeah. Um, did you read Bob Bold's autobiography? Um, I have not. It's pretty but, damn good, man. Yeah. It's pretty damn good. I just, your level of detail here is, like, such he's, that I thought, perhaps he know, did a couple. He did okay. a couple. Uh, he did a couple interviews about his time on uh, working with WCW recently with uh, uh, on Chris Jericho's podcast, uh, who's a you know wrestler and broadcaster and singer for a god awful like hard rock band called Fozzy, <laughs> amongst other things. Just you know, an all around Renaissance man of sorts. Uh, but yeah. He, he had Bob Mould on there within the past year to talk about his experience, like working as a writer's assistant in WW, or WCW during this just really not good time. Um, cool. So I, in my notes, I included for everyone, for all, each of my picks, I included like, you know, a piece of music that the person had worked on, or like something about one of their bands and then like something wrestling related they were involved with and so i had a competition between the wrestler chris canyon and judy bagwell the mother of wrestler marcus buff bagwell um before the judy bagwell on a pole match uh, which happened a little later on there uh from wcw's thunder tv show just the example of like the kind of not great stuff that was happening in wcw at the time uh, that Bob Mould just happened to be working there for, uh, you know, working there sort of helping them make as like a day job between bands. Uh, oh, yeah. Also, during that time, the Misfits were also featured as on-screen characters on WCW TV briefly because of a Lucha Libre star from Thunder Bay, Ontario uh, named Vampiro, who they hired at the time, who was trying to like break into the North American market after uh you know getting popular you know moving from thunder bay to mexico and getting popular there and uh you know when when given the opportunity getting this you know getting having his favorite band brought on to just be his like the guys in his corner during matches um (laughs) during his time on wcw tv 
So it was just like a weird little cro- pop culture crossover time in general that yeah, Bob Mould happened to be behind the scenes for. So that was kind of that was my first pick on my list. I'm uh, intrigued by so many different aspects of what you drew from there. Um, all I can say is, and I don't even want to know, just I'm going to put it out there. Just don't even answer me. <laughs> I'm hoping that within the three or four or six that you got here, one of these is has is a, is, is a Mexican wrestling crossover. I just um, my sincere hope. Maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. That, I guess okay. the like uh, the close. I guess the I, I stuck mostly to North American folks. There's actually okay, that's fine. yeah. That's fine. Uh, I watch a lot of Japanese wrestling as well. Uh, when I do what uh, yeah of the wrestling that I watch, and there's you know over there, like in Japan, like one of the top stars is a guy who wears like a studded leather jacket with like various old SST band logos painted all over it to the ring, uh, named Hiromu Takahashi. Um, and I didn't really get into all that kind of stuff. I, like I said, I kept it mostly to North American re- folks involved with the industry in North America who both were like in bands and involved in okay. like, yeah. Okay, this is this is this is like the undergrad seminar, <laughs> yeah. not, the, uh, not the MA, not the Master of Arts seminar. Yeah, well, we'll get the Master of Arts in exactly. Okay, well, that's my uh, none-too-subtle, I guess, transition. Let's call yep. that a none-too-subtle transition. Um, I'm just going to, you know, say from, you know, just I'm going to just start with the most obvious, um, mm-hmm. you know, clearly uh, just a combined post on Greg Gaffin from Bad Religion and Milo Walkerman from The Descendant. Just, um, because these are sort of like, if you sort of think of like who immediately comes to mind – in terms of your, you know, more popular punk bands that people mm-hmm. who know about punk music and, you know, dig the genre will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we cannot reasonably argue against anything to do with Bad Religion being a fucking awesome band mm-hmm. and, like, win, like, by any fucking metric that matters. Nor can you do that with the descendants. I mean, it's just like, it's not to say like to be pedagogic or, but you know, diet, mm-hmm. diet, whatever, dialogical about it. It's just, it's simply, yeah. If you have like an overall negative opinion about your fans, then it's just you're, you're into something other than punk music. And mm-hmm. that's fine. That's fine. There's many colors on the alternative music rainbow. It's just, um, so. I mean, I'll just, you know, in terms of like, um, and then so in terms of other people you might think of, I'll be goddamned if I'm going to get Dexter Holland in here. I'm just, I'm not, like, I'm sure The Offspring is rad to its audience. It just wasn't rad to me, even though I admit they got a bunch of songs that are probably, if you put them on the radio, if I heard them on 90s radio and I'd hear like, You've got to keep them separated, and I'm in the car. Like the snaky guitar, right? It's like when Epitaph went from being something yeah. friggin', you know, the uh, warehouse, you know, the financed on uh, Greg Garowitz's credit card mm-hmm. to uh, being like a viable friggin' commercial entity, right? So, yeah. So anyway, anyway, I'm not going to talk about Dexter except that I just did. Um, so I mean, really, um, so what else? I mean, like anything I can say about Greg Gaffin or Milo, it's like, well, it's already been said, you know, um, just some nuggets, yeah. I don't know. 
Um, they would they they did have a show in development. There's actually like a pilot episode uh, sitting in some friggin' TV limbo land uh, of like a show about Greg Gaffin, the punk professor. Oh uh, wow! Circa 2011. Yeah. So uh, it's just so that's one thing. Um, yeah. He also. They, Oh, am I still? Am I still on? Am I? Yep, you're heard? still on. You're being heard. Rad, rad. It's again not just maritime internet, folks. Maritime basement internet. Mm-hmm. You know. So, so, um, and what else? I mean, I don't know. It's it, one thing. It seems that I've observed just by you know with Milo and with uh, Greg and I guess Dexter too, and I guess others that I've heard of. The hard sciences really seems to be what gets them in. Um, you know, like you don't hear about like, um, you know, well, there's there's a few things I'm going to talk about later. But I mean, generally speaking, it's not like, OK, so one person I was going to put on the list, but didn't. Uh, Mo Tucker from the Velvet Underground. Mm. She apparently did a Ph.D. in uh, like medieval literature uh, just as a post VU thing. Right. So yep. but generally speaking, in terms of uh, it just seems like, you know. Science, you know, one of them studies, you know, uh, Milo studies germs, you know, microbial thingies. Uh, and then Greg's thing is, well, okay, so he studied, it's zoology, but he looks at anthropology, cultural cultural anthropology, if I'm sort mm-hmm. of looking at that right. Um, apologies, Dr. Graffin, if I'm not. Uh, from one doctor to another, boom! I get to throw it out. I get to, like... I'm a DR. I joined that club. I'm like, you know, it's, just, it's like the most arduous, like ramsh, you know, completely nonsensical thing you can do to earn money. Like for the amount of money you can get in a career representative relative to the investment of just sweat and having your ego degraded at every turn. It's just, you know, don't do it unless you absolutely feel you must. is I guess what I would recommend there. I don't know. So uh, just one last thing on these two, uh, you know, awesome musicians, musicians who, you know, but then they got their field, right? Like, so Milo, mm-hmm. you know, his thing is like, he, he, he does the descendants for a couple of years, then he just ditches it and goes do science for a year or two. And that's kind of how he just, they just they spaced it out. And that's yeah. why like, and all, you know, it was like the same musicians, Except without Milo, when Milo was mm-hmm. like off doing science shit, right? So I just think, you know, you love science, you're in a band that's revered, and you get to tour and probably make some kind of living off that. I mean, which of those counts as your fun and which of those counts as your day job? I mean, yeah. You know, I guess so. Nice, a nice, a nice, a nice thing to have in your life where is it like, well, this one lucrative creative somewhat lucrative creatively satisfying thing or is it this other you know so mm-hmm. i just think anybody who can make that you know kind of life career art balance work somehow to that level i mean good on you and with that i'll uh, throw it back over to you my friend all right um just as a as a side note i mentioned it in my sort of the end notes of my part I did think of a band that fit on both of our lists. Okay. Um, but just at a certain point of their, just a certain lineup of the band. Uh, it's a band van, uh, called Manor Farm from Vancouver. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned them on our West Coast episode or not. Uh, I think they might have been one of my runners up. Uh, okay. But there was, 
a certain point of that band where they had a guy named Happy Crater playing bass, uh, who was also also wrestled on like certain like independent promotions in Vancouver around the late nineties. Uh, as Strife the Vegan Warrior um, doing a straight edge kid gimmick and like coming to the ring wearing like a hoodie with like a bandana over his face and kind of like punching his way while walking down. Uh, and their drummer, after the band broke up, uh, ended up becoming a professor of indigenous geography um, out in uh, like in and around BC. So I just thought it was like, yeah, that's a band that kind of fits on both. Uh, but, anyways. Uh, I guess yeah, my next like, one. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. please. I was, please. I was gonna say my next one can kind of be can kind of be a two for a two for just because it's mentioned. It's I picked two people that both work for the same promotion that both also happen to be fairly active musicians and also just it gives me a chance to talk about I guess that promotion in general, which is uh, uh, for the first time in a while there's actually two major wrestling companies on tv which wasn't really you know hasn't been a thing pretty much since like the late 90s early 2000s uh there's a company called all elite wrestling wrestling that started in 2019 it's the son of the guy that owns the jacksonville jaguars who's basically just like a big nerd who found a bunch of folks on the indies and decided to create you know help put together just a different wrestling company and anyways uh couple of people that work for that company that that promotion are uh brody king and andy williams uh brody king is uh also the front man for the hardcore band god's hate who uh they put out they put out a couple full-length album a couple albums throughout like the late 2010s they're i guess they're they their last full length came out in uh, 2021. Uh, they're big in like sort of like the Southern California end of this uh, Southern California scene. It's uh, him and a couple of the guys from a band called Twitching Tongues, uh, who were pretty popular, like in the previous decade, sort of in that scene, just like more like the heavier metallic end of end of hardcore. And yeah, this guy just also he's sort of big, physically imposing dude also happens to be a pro wrestler uh <coughs> and uh in storyline is part of a i guess what they call a stable like a little gang type thing called uh, the house of black who uh are all sort of you know more sort of creepy gothic themed and uh they use music by god's hate and other bands sort of featuring some of the same folks as their entrance musics on entrance music you know on the show and like it's gotten to the point where like through that the guys from God's some of the guys from God's hate have been like just writing the entrance music for wrestlers on this you know big promotion you can watch on like TSN on Wednesday nights <laughs> with like you know guys from the Southern California Straight Edge band writing the music people that like, come down to the ring to and uh just in general like a lot of like there was like a backstage straight edge crew like amongst some of the wrestlers at aew at one point uh because there's a guy named cm punk i don't know if you've heard that name I've at all heard of this, and i'm vexed yes. i don't understand what the deal is with him i don't understand what he his is, thing is. I don't a get whole it. other can of worms but okay that can of worms okay. is somebody that happened to come sort of 
not only he's one of the first people to sort of cross over from like the modern indie scene to WWE and really sort of make yeah make that bridge a viable thing and also happens to be a cantankerous old straight edge hardcore dude okay <laughs> um, that's basically cm punk who is known to do things like like he was wrestling for ew for a while and got fired for starting a fight with the guy you know like physically attacking the guy that owns the company backstage at a show because after they got into an argument or something and you know getting in like there was a whole yeah there was a whole it's it's a whole like i said that's a whole other can of worms for different podcasts i think okay. i use those exact notes words in my notes but yes for a while, this guy who is very much someone out of the hardcore comes out of the hardcore scene, sort of in the best and worst ways, just in that like, imagine a dude who like used to sing in bands and never really got past that like cranky guy who sang in bands and like to just start fights at shows mentality, but like, you know, sort of trying to hold a job in their forties. <laughs> and that's CM Punk in a lot of ways. But well, every was man of course. I got gotcha. exactly. But yeah. while he was with AEW, there was like, you know, you'd go on Instagram and see like, hey, here's half a dozen wrestlers going to this AFI show together. <laughs> They're all like, you know, folks like that are from the scene. And uh, yeah, like just in general, AEW has kind of been like they've been, you know, trying to court that market like. They've been getting really, yeah, way more into just, like, licensing music as well for people to use uh, for their entrances, where, like, there was a group of wrestlers called the Best Friends who would come to the ring to Where's My Mind by the Pixies at one point. And one of the focal members of that group, Orange Cassidy, his whole gimmick is based on Paul Rudd's character in the movie Wet Hot American Summer. (laughs) Like, and just, yeah. There's a wrestler for AEW named Ruby Soho who you you know, got the blessing of Rancid before using she she wrestled under a different name with WWE previously and then you know was a big fan of Rancid anyway, so got Lars Fredrickson's breath blessing to use the name Ruby Soho as her ring name and like has that as her entrance music. Actually, one of the things I put in my notes is Rancid playing her to the ring at one of AEW's pay-per-views. <laughs> um yeah and it's just kind of this is like and it's you know it's still there's still like a lot of chuds (laughs) that are you know involved in the wrestling fandom but just one of the things aew has been doing is trying to make things cool i mean make wrestling cool in certain ways or like crossover into like i don't want to say like hipster but just like folks that are say into like alternative music like be like hey maybe you want to watch our show where hey you know we've got present things a little bit differently and you know like they put out a 12 inch of like music like they released a 12 inch of songs that the house of black brody king's like wrestling stable uh had used as entrance music like just sort of like like sort of as like you know merch related to the company and like brody king himself is just like yeah big scary tough hardcore dude who's like perfect monster of a wrestler but yeah also sings in a hardcore band and when you see him on stage it's like giant scary hardcore front man and like you know carries the pro wrestling vibe over with uh you know over there with him and also there was another person on my list that i wanted to mention who is another musician that wrestles for aew and that is uh, andy williams aka the butcher of buffalo who you might also know as the guitarist from the band every time i die 
uh, who have been around because <laughs> you know sometimes you want to start a side gig you know the, like sometimes you get involved in more more than one creative process you know more than one creative stream at once and the thing you start working on isn't the one that takes you the furthest but it's the thing that you know you can still sometimes get back to stuff you worked on earlier are you still there matt yeah, I was uh, so like <laughs> you just went <laughs> shocked and dismayed by what you just said. I I shook the, the virtual background. <laughs> you I, destroyed I, the I, AI I, image. I, I just I, I, I just it got shook off the uh, the back. Yeah, in real life, IRL. So yeah. So, anyways, with Andy Williams, this whole story is he apparently started out training to be a wrestler before he became a musician. Okay. But it was one of those like starting out one thing, then messed up his knee and picked up a guitar. And then next thing you know, he's in a band for the next like 15 years or so. Or, you know, 50, I think actually, no, they lasted. I think they broke up last year. They started in like the late night, like 1998 and broke up last year. So, like 24 years. And then just sort of within around the 2000 teens or so, got reconnected with some of his old friends in the wrestling scene, uh, specifically a guy named Rest, uh, Jesse Guimet, who had wrestled, who'd been a pro wrestler under the names Pepper Parks and Braxton Sutter for a couple of different companies, and then had just sort of been going, started going by the Blade. And so they started dressing up in kind of like, you know, tough guy biker gear and calling themselves the Butcher and the Blade. And, you know, Andy started slowly getting back into wrestling. And, you know, they mostly did uh, appearances around, like, Buffalo and, like, a lot of, like, Toronto Indies, actually. And then uh, to the point of, like, getting a little bit of attention. And then when AEW was kicking out off sort of around the late, yeah, 2018, 2019, they were one of the earlier acts that got signed and brought in. And it's one of those things where it's like he would go on tour with every time I die on the weekends and then Wednesday nights go on AEW TV and show up like chewing a pork chop on the way to the ring, <laughs> you know, wearing a monocle and a leather vest, like, and, you know, get thrown around by the Hardy brothers or something. And then, one of the, didn't one of the dudes in every time I die, go to jail for buying steroids illegally. I don't think that's the key. I don't know. No, it's Avenged Sevenfold. Shit. Yeah, it was Avenged sorry. Sevenfold. No, every time I die, broke My up. My bad. Because... I always mix up those bands. I'm sorry. I just they broke up. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's there's that whole like 2000s kind of like metalcore thing. Yeah, metalcore scene. That, Some like, of it you is know... worthy, I'm sure, but most yeah, of them and that's like, it. Yeah. Like every time I die, are a pretty decent band. Um, like, and I actually gave sort of gave them a bit more of a shot because being like, oh hey, I've seen Andy Williams wrestle before. I'm like, that's cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought it was funny that somebody would go like, it's just be yeah, you know, be able to do like a touring musician on the weekend, and then just Wednesday nights go on TV as a pro wrestler, and just you know, kind of ridiculous get up. Like I said, he wears like a monocle. A lot of the time, and has like a big mustache, and like oh, wear, wear like a leather vest and like a yeah. butcher's apron or something, and like yeah, we'll like chew on a pork chop or like eat a big sandwich chew up pork chop. <laughs> while walking to the ring. As one does in a working and you know, uh, his tag team partner, the Blade, will wear like a creepy mask, like, and uh, sometimes they have uh, the Blade's wife, the Bunny, accompany them as well, and. Uh, yeah, you know, it's all just like silly and fun, but it's just kind of cool to see somebody like cross. Yeah, 
just actively pursue both. And like towards the end of every time I die's existence, they were even like working like wrestling matches into like they do a big they would do a big charity show in Buffalo every year called Mary Tidmus. That was just like the, you know, it's like the Yola Tango like Hanukkah shows where it's like here's the band and all of their friends sort of showing up to do guest performances, that kind of deal. But they would they started towards the end of it, they started having wrestling matches as well because of, you know, Andy Williams' connections to that scene. And there's like you see videos of like the band playing on stage and then like Orange Cassidy, the wrestler with the uh wet hot American summer gimmick, like stage diving while they're playing and stuff. Like yeah. And it's just kind of a cool little yeah, just cool little examples of how I guess alternative music and the current iteration of the pro wrestling scene have been crossing over lately, I guess. Your uh, knowledge and commitment to this topic then has to be commended. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't expect less, but I mean, you're really like diving into a pretty fantastic level of detail there. You know, um, I can't, you know, recreate it exactly, I'm sure, but, um, you know, that's uh, sick. Sick is what that is. Yeah, I, I do. I do follow the Hulkster on Instagram because he's, it's so he's whole. It's just it's so off the rocker. Yeah, Southern Florida, rich white guy, Bizarro land. It's like, yeah, okay. that's yeah. So... He still looks this. He's looked forty five since he was twenty nine. That guy. He's like, he's he's like he's an old. Like, oh, he's you, something. He's a G. I mean, it's just he's, like it's unique. It's 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 like, and uh, it's just well done, brother. If you're if you're checking this out, Alter, like the uh, positive life for affirming aphorisms, aphorisms. There's some really scummy stuff about Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah, he's family. horrible. He's he's a horrible. scummy things he, that he got sued for involving. Like the dude from Creed, and like yeah, uh, there's that. Yeah. There's all the stuff. There's the stuff that he got on tape saying with the like that man cow guy or whatever. Like just he's yeah, like the like Chicago <laughs> shop job dude. Yeah, he's had a whole. I'm, I'm like yeah. There's a that guy is a whole piece of work, <laughs> and in an industry that has many people that could be described as pieces of yeah. work, he is definitely like over one of decades, them. over decades since like you and I were in elementary school. Oh, yeah, like it's just been so, and so many years. He just like pops up every once in a while. It's because it's like he had his '80s run with the WWF, and then in the '90s he worked for WCW World Championship Wrestling for a while, and kind of had a little bit of a career renaissance. And then he just sort of pop up every now and again. It's like he's got actually one of the other people that was really involved with WCW, a guy named Eric Bischoff, who's kind of like a semi-successful, semi-failed reality TV producer guy. It's like him and Hogan would just manage to like get their little teeth into whatever they could and just be like, okay, now we both have jobs here. And now our friends have jobs here. And now we're just going to do everything we can to just keep our jobs here and just, yeah, be awful. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yep. Okay. Yeah, man. Well, again, thanks for the uh, edifying. uh, Yeah, that was my, yeah. 
And you might say and an academic you. level. You might say an <laughs> academic level of knowledge. Um, I had to stretch on this, but I'm going to be. I was going to be goddamned and a half if I did not take a significant part of this show, at least for me, to uh, talk at length, uh, which doesn't actually mean very long, but uh, about the uh, new Shotmaker 3 record set that just came out. I'm waiting um, for my copy to arrive. I am so, <laughs> like, I'm so broke for record buying compared to yeah. what I was even like six months ago, but um, you know, that's that's just a, a moment of, you know, thing that's just kind of transiting. But um, yeah. honestly, um, what I'll just say is I didn't even really know anything about the dudes in Shawmaker, particularly even when this, you know, I bought this. Um, but just in preparation for this episode, I'm like, I'll bet there's some tie in somehow to this <laughs> in a legitimate way that isn't just me kind of just prying something in. Um, and so... To that, I'll say my first stop, you know, from the Google machine uh, was going to a pretty rad. You probably heard of this. I actually mentioned my notes. Dan's probably heard of this, but it's new to me. Uh, the Washed Up Emo podcast. Mm. Are you aware of this? Yes. Yeah. Would you like to tell us anything about it? Well, I, I'm actually I'm not all that. F I, I haven't listened to it too much. That was I've only listened to one or two episodes prior to the uh, is it Nick? Uh, right. The guy's name from Shopmaker. Because yes. other than, yeah. The, yeah, that particular episode is like one of the few episodes of that show that I've listened to, actually. <laughs> well, that, uh, it's just, it seems like I, 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 like I went to it just because I saw, you know, on Instagram or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like they're at their like 300 and something episode. And I'm like, yeah. oh, sh shit, there's probably some number of things I would probably enjoy if I scroll through their archives, you know. <clears throat> But that's uh, quite beside the point, I suppose. So I was quite pleased upon finding out, um, which you'll know if you uh, listen to the episode, uh, is that uh, Nick actually is now uh, not only a really well-regarded, I guess, multimedia artist. I'm thinking of the Eric Hill <laughs> of his sort. You know yes. how Eric does? Yeah, yeah, right? That kind of art. Like, I mean... Back in the day, I'd go up and uh, see, you know, at the uh, UNB Art Center or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Eric would be up there with the uh, machine. Like, a, I want to say it's like a projector at a turntable, but that's not what the hell it was. But you know what I mean? It's like that kind of. And mm -hmm. to actually go and experience those kind of performances. I mean, it's like it was, it was a pretty cool thing. Um, so. Shout out to Eric if you ever listen to this, which I probably don't because you've got better things to do. But still, um, speaking of cool people doing two jobs or like a, a buy, you know, an artistic thing and then a regular thing. So, but anyway, um, so yeah, so Nick from Shotmaker uh, actually now has a master's degree, MFA, and he teaches at uh, OCAD. Uh, he is a department head uh, for, I guess, probably their media art department or whatever um, at uh, Ontario College of Art and Design. And that is a, from one uh, academic, you know, to another. I mean, I just had a look at this stuff. I read this I, between what the show notes and just other stuff I garbled off the Internet, whatever. I'm like, that dude turned 16 on the stage uh, of friggin' um, – 
you know, they in in in, in the states, uh, friggin' uh, San Francisco, friggin' mm. uh, Gilman Street. Thank you. Yes, he played it on his 16th birthday. You know, on, and so like these, they were literally just these three like poor-ish dudes from mm. like outside Ottawa. Yeah, like a small Matthew, town. Small friggin' town, smaller than Fredericton, which to oh, me. Oh, definitely. Like, you know, like just small, 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 small. And yeah. like, it's like the family like throws together enough money for them to get this van that they, you know, just throw everything into like, you know, making serviceable. And then they just, they get a copy of friggin' uh, Book Your Own Fucking Life for Maximum Rock and Roll, which uh, I guess was a thing. Oh, and that was, just, I, I, I have to say, I got very nostalgic. I, I had like a little burst of nostalgia when I heard them talk about that because I hadn't seen one of those in a while. But there was a brief window of time where that was like a Bible if you were going to do any kind of touring because it was just like, uh, yeah, literally just like a little magazine of just like, hey, here's a city. And then like these people will put on your show. These people will probably let you stay here. Here's some record stores or something you might want to check out. But just and, like... And- yeah, yeah, and Nick on the podcast described, you know, like that was the format, that was the venue. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they just they pressed up a seven inch, you know, a, a few days before they went on tour, and uh, just for three years they just did it, you know, relentlessly. And this, so this dude's like literally, like I'm 45, and I'll be damned if he's, you know, much older than me mm. at all. Really, probably about the same age, you know. And he's so he's just like. And I, it's like I see like his you know academic ish stuff out there a little bit, and I'm just like, this is, you know, what you'd expect for a guy at this point in that kind of career. And he just kind of looks mm-hmm. back on the maker stuff as like that set me up for everything I'm doing now. It was like running away to camp, you know, uh, or from you know just joining the circus every summer, basically. Um, they played something like 300 shows a year or something like that. There were 200 shows a year. So 300 would be insane. 200 shows a year during their whole run. Um, and they just, you know, so for that kind of story, I mean, I just think that's a very relatable story. I think for people like of our generation, of our general age, I mean, even if people like didn't, you know, quite manage, you know, to pull it off, like the whole just tour of the U.S., you know, no matter what. You know, mm. that level of it. It's still like, you know, you got your normal life carrying on and you just, you know, you're young where you're not too committed to things and, you know, you just have the ability to throw yourself into it. So um, I just think uh, anybody, they're, they're, they're one of the best examples of like uh, a band of, you know, that genre of that era that I just gravitate towards. I mean, like, I don't know that if it was, if I was a different age or whatever, that I would just throw it on as much as I could. But like with that set, I mean, mm. when, I, when I put on the second record and I realized it was like just Crayon Club from start to finish and it was remastered. <laughs> like, oh man, oh man. Like, I, am so, I just, uh, I, I just I, have such goddamn memories of that record. I just listened to it. It hasn't aged a day to me. Oh yeah. Like I'm just straight up fanboy here. Like, that particular album. Um, and then it's just, you know, having all the stuff from the seven inches and stuff, which I've spent a lot of money getting on disc. Mm. And uh, it was like, so, I mean, just having it all on one thing, 
completely cleaned up with some awesome art. So Nick actually did the art. This is a really talented visual artist. Uh, Finals, friggin' gorgeous. Sharing, uh, you know, different colors. Uh, so anyway, um, thanks Nick for uh, achieving that master's degree. And uh, and and just in terms of what the others are up to, I mean, I think you probably do a full. You, you so you know he ended up. Um, over, over in Toronto, right? Ultimately, within his academic career, the guitar mm-hmm. player name I don't recall honestly, um, but he is like a high-profile freelance writer with the like he, he like he writes for architecture pieces for the New York Times. Like, Ooh, like very highbrow, you know, uh, yeah. architecture career. Uh, and then um, you know uh, Matt Deline, um, he I think just i don't know what the hell his day job would be but he's still like i mean up you know his, the, the last thing with his name on it which i think i've alerted, alluded to in previous shows like uh dark plane i want to say dark planes um you know he's just he's done a lot of he's, he's remained in ottawa and he's still part of the scene as far as i know doing some version of weekend awesome art rock or whatever so yeah, man. Um, so there we go. I just I I feel so good to be speaking about that record because I haven't looked forward to a record set coming out quite as much, you know, as that. So I think yeah. um, it's yeah. safe to say we're doing a couple more episodes, hopefully, before the end of the year. Um, and uh, here's a spoiler alert. Dan's already let me know that we're going to be talking about our end of year favorites. So I'm sure I'll have another opportunity to gush quite soon on that one. So anyway, pal, over to you. What's your next one, bro? What? All right. I, I think for, uh, I guess for my, what I'll do is I'll do one more uh, yep. and then save one for the notes. And this is not so much punk rock, but more sort of alternative rock in general. Okay. Um, were you familiar with uh, the fact with uh, what Billy Corgan has decided to spend his uh, some of his special oh money? Oh my dear on God! Lately. I'm so glad you're talking about this because I thought <laughs> like, it's nuts. this shit is nuts. Okay, good, it is good. not good. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it's not good. So, anyways, uh, okay. the thing is, the National Wrestling Alliance is like a very that's a his, pretty historic brand in the world of pro wrestling. It's basically before the WWF was a thing, they were the car. It was, that was the name of the cartel of promoters that basically ran professional wrestling in North America for decades and decades and decades up until basically up until the eighties. Um, I meant to bring our copy of it down with me, but uh, there's a really good book called uh, the death of the territories by a guy named Tim Hornbacher. If you ever want to read about sort of that era of, sort of how how pro wrestling was organized in that era and how it changed once sort of Vince McMahon decided to, you know, started working on establishing a monopoly in the industry. Um, but anyways, the NWA brand always was kind of floating around. It's like, it, it was much, basically it became much less of a thing after the 80s. Um, just this brand in general and sort of the, the likeness of the title belt that they used and that sort of thing. And it was still just kind of floating around with whoever who could afford it. You know, usually some nostalgic, somebody with a bit of nostalgia and a bit of cash would be like, oh, hey, I'll buy the rights to this. Like, And we'll have, you know, some local guy will carry the NWA title for a while and, you know, it'll just sort of keep going. 
in some form. Like I'm wearing my thrash wrestling shirt today, by the way, for this episode. <clears throat> like if if you ever watched the Tiger King documentary, the professional wrestling event that Joe Exotic helped put on at one point, I think was vaguely NWA affiliated during like some of the promotions off years. Let's put it that way. Um but in like towards the late 2010s, um a couple of people uh, I think Dave Lagana. I, I can't remember Dave Lagana. I can't remember the name. So Dave Lagana or Dave Lagreca was the name of one of the guys. And then Billy Corgan and a couple other people put the money together to buy the rights to the name National Wrestling Alliance and all associated like championships and that kind of deal. And basically, the company was theirs now. And they decided to first bring it back by starting a YouTube channel, a YouTube a YouTube series called Ten Pounds of Gold where they picked this like kind of Superman looking British wrestler um, and, and uh, you know, put the title on him and had him travel around to uh, local promotions. Oh, Nick Aldis, that was the guy's name. Um, and had Nick Aldis carry this old time NWA title that looked exactly like the old time one that they used to use in the sixties and seventies and early eighties and that kind of deal. And uh, managed to get, uh, there was an event in 2018 called All In that was the, at the time, it was the largest event outside of the WWE, largest pro wrestling event outside of the WWE in North America in like, I don't know how many years, um, where they had a little over 10,000 people there. And one of the featured matches was this guy, Nick Aldis versus Cody Rhodes for the NWA title. And that kind of, you know, Cody, they put the title on Cody at the show just to sort of, you know, get a little more attention on the NWA and let people know it was back. And it was really sort of positioned as like, hey, do you like your wrestling with retro vibes? Like, come to the, you know, come check out the NWA. Like, they licensed a song by Dokken to use as the theme music for their weekly YouTube show. <laughs> and, like, everything looked like you know the way that, like, 80s game shows everything looks like it's like just made out of styrofoam and then covered in like just like shitty sparkles yeah. yeah like that's what the sets for like the back backstage sets for like the nwa youtube show looked like on purpose to give it like this very like 80s retro this like old time retro throwback look sound terrible on its that's face, just it though. it started out okay but yeah they kind of leaned a little too far at first they hired a guy named jim Cornette who it's a little controversial. He's really great if you want to know a lot about a very specific era of professional wrestling in a historical context and just don't let him talk about anything else. Like one of those kind of people. <laughs> Unless you just, yeah. Like, and he's kind of, he's cultivated, like basically he makes his money like being a troll on the internet in a lot wow. of ways. And just like saying horrible things about current wrestling for his army do what you love and uh, get paid but at the same time if there's something between say like 1978 and 1995 that you need to know about he is probably one of the best historians and they'd hired him as a commentator and he's like he's an old time southern wrestling guy Sometimes old-time Southern wrestling guys have jokes that they like to use that are not really cool these days. Um, right. And yeah, the, uh... it started out 
it's like it's I feel the Confederacy like they, lost the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean Cornet. I mean Cornet's politics are complicated <laughs> in a lot of ways, that's, but at the that's, same that's time, that's far enough into apologizing for the jokes. Yeah, Joe is like he made a joke. He he made just like just bad, stupid, racist jokes on commentary, and yeah. it was just like he got fired yeah. for it. But at the same time, people, some of their fans got mad that he got fired for it, and okay, it's yeah. just you know it's really much in court. Like the like you know people, it's I feel like you get a certain kind of people that long for a certain era of the past when things were different, if you know what I mean. And it kind of eventually, that's, that's kind of, it started to feel like that was what the NWA was kind of leaning towards in terms of like the fan base they were cultivating. Um, And then they put the title on a guy named Tyrus. um, Who used to wrestle for the WWE as the Funkasaurus Brodus Clay. Uh, who was supposedly a dancing dinosaur of some sort. Uh, he was just a really big guy who'd wear like a red tracksuit and kind of poorly dance to a song called Somebody Call Him Call My Mama um, <laughs> on his way to the ring, uh, but eventually became a Fox News commentator um, and, while still wrestling. And yeah, he became, you know, Billy Corgan's new champion <laughs> and would bring the NWA title on Fox News to go on like the gut felt show and stuff like that like wearing their title belt and it's like you know national wrestling alliance champion tyrus and you just say like horrible like i yeah he had some pretty nasty things to say about like you know if the kids ever came out as gay you know like that oh, kind of great. stuff great, yeah great. and well, the world yeah. is a vampire so and also is just the guy is not the greatest athlete um also, yeah, the NWA kind of absorbed the dregs of, like, like sort of after COVID happened, like, a lot of people got, like, a lot of, the WWE fired a lot of people. Like, like a, a lot of people that are working for them go. And a lot of, like, weird little experimental promotions are kind of popping up with people trying to do stuff online. And one of them was this very, like, great libertarian, like anti-cancel culture themed promotion called control your narrative uh (laughs) and uh yeah that didn't last very long because it was poorly organized and everybody involved was just a dumbass um (laughs) but sort of the dregs of that after that failed uh some of the dregs of that including their uh their former champion a guy named ec the overman ec3 um all sort of got absorbed, you know, hired and picked up by Billy Corgan's NWA and uh, leading to the the fateful Tyrus versus EC3 championship match that I included a link to in my notes that I would not advise watching all of because it is very, very, very bad. Like, just in all ways, like, it's like, I enjoy pro wrestling and I enjoy a lot of different kinds of pro wrestling. And this is just not enjoyable, but it's something that exists in the world. It's like, this is what Billy Corgan has put out there <laughs> using his own money as his. And like, you know, when people would mention it, this kind of stuff to him. He'd just be like, look, you know, we're not afraid to like bring, you know, controversial opinions and get people talking about stuff. Privileged asshole ever anywhere. But, and yeah. they almost had an actual cable TV deal. 
until he decided at one of their pay-per-views to have sort of sort of the evil bad guy stable of wrestlers in celebrating their victories for the night, have one of them pick up a little mirror and pretend to snort something off it on camera um, between matches. And, Keeping it real. You know, yeah, and then their, you know, their, their TV deal kind of didn't happen so much after that. Yeah, and just like that has just been, it's just, that's been, unfortunately, that's just been like, the Billy Corgan wrestling promotion experience. And it's so weird seeing him because he just looks like a different, you know, it's like even just seeing him on, like seeing him on stage is one thing, but then seeing him just, he looks like, it's like he ages 20 years when he puts on a rumpled tracksuit and stands next to this like awful man, <laughs> you know, this awful guy like Tyrus or something or one of his other wrestlers. Um, and just, yeah, it's like, is this the same person that made some music that I like way back when? And like, there's some, there's video footage you can find of like recent Smashing Pumpkins concerts where he's like invited some of his performers on stage and they just all seem very awkward. <laughs> kind of like, you know, just a bunch of wrestlers in their ring gear kind of like awkwardly dancing like this while he's, you know, running through bullet for, bullet with butterfly wings for the umpteenth time. But yeah, it's just one of those like, you know, you feel bad for people on, you know, feel bad for just the idea of smashing pumpkins and the idea of pro wrestling when you see the stuff that Billy Corgan's kind of put out there in the world. But like in talking about the crossovers of like punk and alternative and wrestling and stuff where those might meet, it's like definitely have to mention it. Definitely not good. <laughs> Man, but I had um, to mention you know- it. <laughs> You know, that seems to me like actually quite a decent way to go to out on the show. Oh, yeah, um, for because, sure. That's, you know, we're, we're, we're like, you know, hitting the hour mark here. I have to say, um, I think we have to do some kind of follow up to this uh, just because I've learned one hell of a lot. And um, yeah, no, this is, uh, this is great. And uh, I've got, you know, a few more kind of paragraphs mm-hmm. written. Uh, the, the last person, you know, that I, you know, one of the people on my list, uh, I was thinking, um, you know, that I would speak to on the show, Kira from Black Flag, um, because she um, has gone on to have an amazing career uh, as a Hollywood uh, and indie sound designer, sound nice. artist. Yeah. And uh, she, during the Black Flag, during the years when Black Flag was like, besides damaged and besides, uh, you know, the first four years kind of era, uh, anything that you think about with Black Flag that's remotely good uh, has her on it because for the two or three years that she was with Black Flag, they put out like five records mm. um, and, and they toured around her schedule for, uh, and this is the academic part that I was able to sneak in, uh, her uh, being, you know, uh, from, her, from her program at, uh, I don't know, it's not UCLA, but, you know, like a, a local university they kind of accommodated her academic schedule so that she could play and then tour. Uh, and then at one point uh, from uh, Jim Rulin's book about SST, the rise and fall, they gave Greg Jim Ginn just basically said, well, we're going on tour during the fall. And if you don't come with us, then you're not our bass player. And she just decided to finish out her final year of her program um, instead. And she subsequently, you know, had um, some musical involvements with uh, Mike Watt from the Minutemen uh, and, and some things like this. 
but she more or less sort of moved into uh, film at a really high level. Uh, she was part of the team that won uh, a uh, Academy Award for the sound design on Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, <sighs> right? Um, I didn't know Kira worked on that movie. That's that. That's one of my absolute favorite movies, actually. Yeah, well, she, she, she did win. She, yeah, she was like the lead, one of the heads of the team or something, and she's down as having received uh, a, 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 a the uh, Grammy for that. Um, and uh, now, just uh, actually this same week, uh, the prequel to that Furiosa. Yes. Uh, and I just sort of now wonder if uh, the same, you know, sound design team, which I would assume would include Kira, is involved in this, but I haven't uh, gone into Googling down that rabbit hole quite so much yet. But uh, yeah, okay. Um, right. So there, so there, that's the last all right. we can all else speak to here. Um, and, you know, I think we each have a couple more in the notes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, man, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, – I'm glad we had this this one. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, we'll get the next one maybe a little bit sooner. Out of the yes, game. definitely, a little bit sooner. A little bit sooner. This was kind of an outlier even by our standards. So Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, so uh, anything else before we uh, shut her down here, pal? Uh, no, that's that's just about it for me. Uh, have a great – week everybody yeah absolutely take care everybody uh see you again hopefully uh sooner than later all right know.